Epic gets a big win against Google while at the same time introducing new games within Fortnite that can make it a platform. Google, meanwhile, introduces new AI tools aimed to go after OpenAI and ChatGPT. We'll chat about those stories and a lot more coming up on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on the show today is Jeremy Duvall. He is an InfoWorld contributor and CEO of Seven Factor Software. And the guy in the back pushing all the buttons is Chris. Hello, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Hello, Jeremy. How are you? Hello. Doing well. Doing well. Sort of relaxing for the holiday season. (laughs) Getting ready for the big big holidays. Uh, You know who's having a holiday is uh, Epic Games. Uh, Apparently, they've won the lawsuit against Google. A San Francisco jury has found that Google turned its Google Play App Store and Google Play billing service into an illegal monopoly. The lawsuit brought by Fortnite maker Epic Games asserted that Google has monopoly power in the Android app distribution markets and in-app billing services markets, and that Epic was, was injured by that behavior. The jury decided that Google does have an illegal tie between his Google Play App Store and Google Play billing payment services, and then its distribution distribution agreements, Project Hug deals with game developers and deals with OEMs were all anti-competitive. Now, what's interesting about this is that Google said it will appeal the verdict, and it's also unclear what will happen with Google since Epic did not sue for monetary damages, and earlier this year, Epic lost a similar lawsuit against Apple for its App Store policies. Um, Not great news if you're Google, because I guess they were charging apps uh, developers a 30% fee to be in the app store. And that's, that was the big contention that Epic had because obviously Epic wants its own payment systems for especially games like Fortnite to basically go to, to Epic rather than having to go to Google and Apple. Uh, Jeremy, some thoughts on this? Yeah, so we built a lot of mobile apps and this is a thing that you try really delicately to work around both in Google and Apple's ecosystem. Um, for example, we've shipped an app to the App Store with Stripe payments, and Apple has rejected uh, that because they're not getting paid mm-hmm. um, for the transactions that are happening uh, through the payment systems. So you can do it. So I know that's a bit of a dramatic story. You can certainly get by and you can use other payments platforms, but it can be really difficult to get your application in an app store that's not using the payment system. For example, have you ever tried to buy a Kindle book uh, through the Amazon app on your iPhone? Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can do it, right? You can't. Yeah, we'll let you. And the reason is because Amazon is like, we are not giving Apple a portion of those sales, like period, bar bar none. I don't know if it's the same on Android. I have an Apple phone, so sorry, Apple fanboy. Yeah. Um, So I don't know if it's the same. But this is, I, I actually like this because this, hopefully we'll open up those platforms a bit more for companies to to want to go all into those platforms, right? Because I like my app store. It's easy. It's simple. It's very, you know, I can go and click a few buttons and have a new brand new application that I can use for whatever. But those sort of the, the payment systems, which again is how they all make money, is is very um, sort of monopolized. So I, I like this lawsuit. I think it will open some doors um, that uh, need to be opened in industry. What do you think happened with the the Apple lawsuit where they did not win? where Epic did not win. And was it a different type of lawsuit or, um, cause I, I'm also seeing that it was the, this whole project hug deal that, that really was like the nail in the coffin for, for Google, at least in the minds of this jury. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what happened yeah. with that one. Um, but, but I, I hope that this particular lawsuit will sit, set some boundaries for the future. Um, again, they're going to appeal and it's going to do what lawsuits do, right? It's going to go over. They're going to 
go for years before anybody actually figures out what the true um, right. judgment is. But from from a litigation perspective, I think this will, if this goes through, it will set some precedent, right? That maybe we can then go revisit Apple. And I don't know the difference between Apple and Google's store with respect to the agreements. Because um, when we ship, we usually ship to both of them. We don't, I know it's not really our responsibility to care about the T's and T's uh, to, to a degree. Uh, but certainly I think this is a step in the right direction um, that I'm excited about. Can, can a uh, developer survive uh, with its apps without being on an app store? Or is, is, is it such a goldmine? Because that's where a majority of your uh, mobile app users would go, would be the, the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Well, that's the only way to get your app on the device without asking for like a sideload, right? So even with Android? So with Android, you can do sideloading. Yeah. Right? And if you're like a savvy person, you can, you know, connect your Android device to your, to your computer. You can download, you know, Android Studio, or you can just drag and drop the APK onto the device and then it's installed and you can then go and run it. Um, but, uh, iPhones have a similar sort of approach with IPKs and you can kind of get a, a mobile, this, this suite of software that controls mobile devices and you can have like enterprise app stores and stuff like that. But your average user, like your grandma can't do this type of stuff. So if there's a specific app that a non-tech savvy person wants to use, it has to be in the app store. Right. Right. Do you think that app, uh, that Epic is kind of defending the little guy in this now. It's weird because Epic makes billions of dollars with with all of its Fortnite gaming and and all of the microtransactions that it charges within its own within its own game. The mobile space was not their key kind of demo. I know that they took these. You, I think they took Fortnite and some of their other games off of the the App Store. Um, and they're just doing fine because they have, you know, PC and, and Xbox and uh, PlayStation and all those other types of platforms. So it wasn't a big hit versus uh, maybe an, a developer that relies on those app stores. So um, but again, I guess I, I agree with you, Jeremy, that that it, it's, a, it's a good thing to, for developers not to be squeezed out of the money with these fees. It feels like 30 percent was a huge, a huge chunk of change. Yeah, I absolutely don't think that Epic is defending the small person here. And maybe somewhere <laughs> in the upper echelon, somebody has some kind of mission. And they're like, yeah, we're defending the indie <laughs> game development studios while we're making billions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, their greed will help other studios that, that are able to get a better cut of the apps that they sell uh, and potentially prop them up. Because maybe we'll talk about this in another story later, but the state of gaming right now is incredibly sad. Uh, with what's been pushed out with, you know, the Diablo 4 debacle, the story we're going to talk about. There's so many things yeah. going on in gaming right now that just make the entire industry complete garbage. And I'm hoping that this will allow for innovation in gaming because it's all the same garbage. It's gotcha games and microtransactions and how do we maximize our profit margins on on your entertainment right now? There, nobody's really innovating and producing interesting games that people want to play. They're just copy pasting each other. All right. Well, actually, let's jump ahead because I'll, I'll get to the Google AI stuff uh, n next. But I want to I want to talk about uh, a lot of the developments that were going on uh, in the gaming space again, because we're talking about Epic Games. They also over the weekend launched uh, three new mini games or game platforms within the Fortnite universe. And again, this might only matter if you are in that whole Fortnite world and, and have played it. Um, I, I've played it because uh, I've got I've got um, some teenagers. My teenage son uh, played it 
you know, for five or six years and then he lost interest. But now they're doing things that are trying to expand the platform to make it more like a Roblox or a Minecraft type of world out there. Uh, the first one that they launched was this Lego Fortnite. Uh, they, they did a collaboration with the Lego people. And uh, so now you can play a Minecraft like game within the world of Fortnite. Now you're not it's basically Minecraft, but in the Fortnite universe. Um, they, Epic Games also owns Rocket League, uh, that game. And so they've now instituted Rocket Racing, which is, uh, it's like Rocket League cars, but with, uh, Mario Kart like tracks. Uh, and then the third one they did was they also own Harmonix. And so Epic, they were the ones that made, uh, Rock Band and Guitar Hero. Yeah. And so now they've got like a little, you can use your Fortnite characters or your skins that you've been using and you can play rock band or guitar hero type type games and songs and things like that. Now, I, I was more excited about this Fortnite festival, which is the rock band, but um, because you you have to play it without the guitars or without the drums anymore, you're now just using your controller and it's a little bit clunky. Uh, you have to sort of remember how to, to use your, you know, your thumbs and maybe your index fingers to push buttons rather than the guitar where you could then strum with your, with one hand. Um, so it's a little bit of a learning curve and I'm, and I'm, and again, I'm an old guy, so I'm, it's, it's a higher learning curve for me. I loved rock band and I loved, I loved guitar hero. I loved that type of game. So it's, it's fun for me to see this back in. Uh, but the big question, the bigger question for me is uh, that I want to ask you and Chris about is, does this become the the way that that gaming will be in the future with one platform and several games in it or is it just kind of a blip on the radar and are we going to see more you know is this going to just kind of die out versus maybe like a game like Grand Theft Auto 6 which the trailer released uh, last week and that type of type of game where they then integrate it with an online service becomes you can just play everything within the Grand Theft Auto world. Um, it, it feels like we're moving closer and closer to that sci-fi ready player one type world. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Jeremy, too. So I and let's unpack. I, Sorry. I, no, a lot. No. <laughs> I, so first off, this could not have happened when I grew up playing video games. Right. So millennial born in 1983. Yeah. Back in the day we were shipped discs and if the game had a bug in it, great. You got yeah. to exploit that in some way uh, to, to, you know, augment your playing experience. And there was no such thing as DLCs like downloadable content. There was no such thing as a connected experience except for world of Warcraft, which was PC and PC and console gaming were so segmented in their own worlds. They even had their own economics where developing a game for console was very hardware specific. And you had to spend a lot of time targeting hardware, like Companies like Nintendo would would pick, well, Nintendo would always pick their own stuff, but certain gaming companies would have to choose specific hardware platforms to push their stuff out, like Square Enix. They picked the PlayStation for Final Fantasy VII because it had, you know, better uh, graphics capabilities. Yeah. All that to say, now we have this entirely connected idea where I can build a universe, right? Like The Sims Online or like whatever, like this you know Fortnite being a super popular game starting to trickle in content from other franchises that you own i think is a, a very lazy way to make a lot of money quickly <laughs> and i think a lot of development organizations see that and for example like 
there's so many other examples of this. Like Diablo 4 has this whole, you know, thing that they integrated over to World of Warcraft. And, and you know, even like tabletop games like Magic the Gathering are starting to do this kind of stuff where they pull in all kinds of sort of strange uh, connections to to other franchises as a way to invoke nostalgia mm-hmm. and get and get more money. Like you 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 mentioned, I like playing Rock Band. I played Rock Band all the time in college. Like that's we would have entire parties dedicated to go over to each other's houses yeah. and just play Rock Band and have beers and do things like that. So I, I think that this is a next step. It's a lazy step. But it is a good step because it allows more content to exist in a universe that you're already used to. But you do have to be aware of lock-in. Like at one point, are we going to have Fortnite lock-in where I I have to go to Fortnite to basically play all these other games that I'm interested in doing. And then we get into this big fight over who owns what IP and it just becomes a complete mess. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was the whole promise of this metaverse and the, the, the ideal goal of what ready player one was all about was this, this mega verse where you could take one character and then it just, you just put a different skin on it and you're going to different worlds that can be different things. Um, But in order to do that, you've got to get companies to agree to that and 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 i i don't see that ever happening i think you will have vendor lock-in for certain things um i think like the people that owned uh uh, warner brothers and dc comics they tried something similar with a fighting game where you could then have like scooby-doo fighting batman and there was this big thing and 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 then that was all in beta and then it just went away i don't think they ever came back with it i i think this has been going on longer than we think yeah i mean think about this is gaming as a service yeah, it's, it's simple as it's, it's the same thing as streaming, streaming movies. It's, you know, uh, movie going as a service. Right. Um, I, and I think it started all the way back with Destiny. Once Halo ended and then we had Destiny uh, come out. I'm trying to remember who kind of came up with the strategy. I can't think of his name, but, you know, things like the loot chest. Right, know, right. The the color of the gear that you find, you know, the brighter the color, the more vibrant of the color, the more you're you're bound to, you know, get excited about it. You know, the dopamine kicks and stuff like that. Like, I I think it's it's been going on like. Well, well, yeah. If you want to talk about microtransactions, we could talk yeah. about the horse armor in was that Elder Scrolls Oblivion? Well, I, the five dollars yeah. for the for, for right. just armor for your horse, right? I mean, it makes you so controversial. Yeah. back in the day. Well, yeah. if you think about yeah. it, like it's it's a strategy I think MMORPGs had because for the most part, MM, MMORPGs were free to play, but you could buy. You have microtraction, well, microtransactions inside for like yeah. You know, initially, armor. they weren't even free to play. You would subscribe to the service with World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. You pay was right. it ten bucks a month, fifteen bucks a month? Jeremy, right. do you remember how much it, it was like? It wasn't that. It was maybe ten bucks a month, and and you were making a deal with the developers like I will give you this money if you then develop further content down the road. But but then that changed when but, they went to free to play. Right. Yeah. But when World of Warcraft came out, you had Guild Wars. Yep. It's competitor. Yep. And that was free to play, but you had the online store to right. kind of right. buy whatever you want. But um, I, I lost my train of thought, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. You talk about destiny and then, you know, we were just bringing it, bringing up like the games as a service and. Right. I mean, it's just, it's been going on for so long. And I, I think at this point, the current generation is just so used to it. I, this is just what it's going to be like. Yeah, from I, now into I, the, yeah. the the future, it's just how it's going to be. Which I, is, in yeah, a way, yeah. it's kind of sad because I do remember the days where you you could just go to the store, buy a game, and it was finished, it was complete, right? And now it's just 
Well, I think those days are over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, well, there's very few, very, very, very few games that are actually. But, but you know, it, what's interesting about some of these new Fortnite things are is that they're really pushing the microtransactions on this one. Um, a song, they're, they're trying to, they're going to charge $5 for a song. I mean, uh, it's, in, in Rock Band, I think it used to be two, $2 if you wanted a specific song yeah, that you wanted to play. Yeah. Uh, the cars for the rocket racing uh, could cost you up to $37. Jeez. And then they've got <laughs> battle passes, which are, you know, 10 to $20 to get to unlock certain skins. Even in regular Fortnite, it's a $10 uh, season pass in order to get some of the characters. I think the new one this year is Peter Griffin from uh, Family Guy. Again, they had those deals going on for, for dozens of years. Um, but it should be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like the Roblox apo- approach a little bit better because that feels more open for other developers rather than this lock-in that you have with, with Epic Games. But we may have no choice yeah. in, in the future. Yeah, I mean... I, I, or we're going to have a future of, of multiversal different worlds that will have all of their IP brands within yeah. that. You won't be able to cross over. I mean, I, 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 I don't, like, personally, I, I don't give them too much heat just because the game is still free, but it's the it's the game developers, such as <clears throat> um, the guys who did uh, Diablo 4, where you pay full retail price. Yeah. And you have yeah. microtransactions and a slightly unfinished game, slight, slightly unfinished. You know, there were some aspects of it that could have been better but it's like wait you're charging full price for the game yeah and and my so i have a commentary on that i think uh and by the way random fun um bit of trivia the first loot box was implemented in maple story which was in 2003 if anybody remembers that that was the japanese version i do not even remember that game the whole gotcha idea right this like absurd microtransaction word we live in comes from japan so thanks (laughs) japan right um on on that, I have a lot of, I've talked to my friends a lot. And again, I'm, I'm a software engineer. I built software for a long time. So I can actually see the other side of it where if you're trying to deliver a piece of entertainment um, quickly to, to your folks, because the development time on these games are absurd, like literally years. And as a development company, I have to fund the, the development of that game. Software engineers are very expensive. Game designers are very expensive. So it takes a lot of money to enter into this market. Uh, again, I'm not making excuses for Blizzard or, or for delivering something like Diablo, which is a half-baked game. But I see how they would approach that of fast feedback loops, which the gaming industry is not used to. Um, they're trying to introduce this idea of let's build something that's just good enough and then let's ask our community to make it better and better and better and better and iterate on it. Right. In, they're putting that product into a world where the expectation is CD-ROMs and discs where it already is a complete game. Yep. Right. If you if you got Final Fantasy VII back in the day and you popped it in your PlayStation and you played through disc one and you got to the end of disc one, it's, it's like, stay tuned for disc two. Yeah. Are you going to do that? Yeah. Probably not. You're going to be like, what the hell is this? Like, I want my full experience now. Right. And that's what games are about. The dopamine kick. Right. The let's go. Let's, uh, you know, let's let's kill, kill the bad guy and, and things of that nature. So I think. That's the dichotomy I see right now is people are trying to introduce half created products with the assumption that we can vet them better as we go to an audience that doesn't want that. They want Baldur's Gate 3, right, which is a a fully immersed experience. Well, at least mostly it's not 100 percent done, but it's way, way more done than most of the other stuff. out. Right. But that was also in in the beta for several years, too, right, where you could play it. But you knew going into it that it wasn't complete yet. 
Right. Versus a Diablo, which is like, we're not letting you play anything until we launch it. Well, and they probably had really good funding, Baldur's Gate 3, to be in development that long, no? I, I mean, you have to have they had good to, funding. Right. They did. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, plus plus they then did get some money from those early those Steam early access um, players. Right. Again, but at least they were being upfront about it. Right. They, right. You know? <laughs> nice segue there. Yeah. Do, all right. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> hey, so speaking of Steam, here's another story that, that has Chris and uh, Jeremy both riled up. Uh, all right. There's a, there's a game. I had never heard about this, so I'm going to I'm going to uh, tap out on this one. Um, the day before Maker Fantastic announced it will cease operations less than a week after accusations of swindling players with a massive bait and switch when it came to the true nature of its Last of Us looking survival game. So the statement that they tweeted out on December 11th, today we announced the closure of the Fantastic Studio. Unfortunately, the day before has failed financially and we lack the funds to continue. All income received is being used to pay off debts to our partners. Uh, apparently, the, the company said it worked for tirelessly for five years on the shooter without ever taking money from players through early access pre-orders or crowdfunding. While the future of the day before in the studio's other online games is unknown, the servers apparently will remain operational for the time being. All right. Chris, tell me what tell me what's yeah, going on here. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, they're they're paying off their their debts <laughs> with the money that they make. Sure, the, I, they don't have a big bag of money and they're driving away in their Ferrari. I that might that mm-hmm. might be it. I don't know, but man, talk about just like this is the reason why. Personally, myself, I don't pre-order games anymore because it's you know again we're in we're in the age of uh, you know half-baked games and early releases and stuff like that it's like no 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 i i I want i want the full game i want to see what other people have to say about it before i invest 60 dollars into something and spend time into it you know um i mean it's it's embarrassing all right so i guess what happened was was that um the it was the unreal engine game that shined in trailers was not the zombie survival mmo originally marketed but rather a buggy and relatively empty extraction it's it's nothing what they advertised essentially it's 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 so steam early access is designed for you to be able to play something that is air quote not fully baked but it is not a well a way to 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 pre to do pre-releases, right? And and the T's and Z's of this, I really think that that this game violates um, early access's spirit a hundred thousand percent. Like you still have it on the store, and you're still taking people's money, but it doesn't work. Like, are you you can't crowdfund your game through right. early access, right? mm-hmm. which is in effect what they're doing right now? Is they're saying, oh, we have all these debts. So we're going to leave our game on the Steam Early Access because they didn't pull it down. It's still up there right now. They did not pull it off the Steam store. So people can go in and click and spend money on something that just is literally, I'm writing this development studio a check to then go and pay their I, air quote. You I know, think I think it's uh, officially expenses. off Steam. Yeah, I think it's now officially off. Oh, is it now? Yeah, okay. yeah now As it is. As of yesterday, is. when I was looking at this, it was not off yet. And that was that's kind of was my biggest beef is that people are still able to buy this but even so like they left it on for some period of time and i hope steam dropped it because they certainly didn't drop it and if you look at the the twitter or the x whatever it's called now yeah uh all the x uh, and twitter interactions this this development studio is 
more or less defending themselves for still taking people's money and basically whining about how we didn't have enough time and we didn't have enough resources um, to develop this thing. So I, I think this is a, a great dark pattern. It's a highlight of a dark pattern that you can use early access for. And I, I hope that Steam learns from this and puts a little bit tighter restrictions and other you know studios, the people who've done it right, like Baldur's Gate, like they reap incredible rewards from this because they can tight loop, iterate on their game and make it better. This is a great example of abusing that system. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so Steam, did Steam offer refunds for, for people oh, that, that oh yeah. were, were buying they this? Did. And then, yeah, okay. oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, they, they have that's to. Good. They have to with this game. Because it's nothing what they advertise, and and this was this was only on Steam that this game so this was a PC game only. This this didn't get to the consoles. I believe so. Okay, I, I believe so. No, that's right. I mean, it just smells like a full blown scam. <laughs> like I I haven't played the game. I've watched all my streamers play it, the yeah. ones that I follow, and it's yeah. just like, oh no, no. But is what no. they did is is what they did any anything illegal or is it just that they violated the spirit like what Jeremy said? Everything what Jeremy said. Yeah, yeah. Per the T's and C's, they didn't do anything illegal. Um, but uh, <laughs> and and what you know and how di- how is this different from what um, uh, what's that space game that still is in development that was kickstarted? Star Citizen. Star Citizen. Oh yeah. God. Like that was like a decade ago, wasn't it? I think it's longer than that. And but you could still play it, but it's never been officially launched, has it? Or no? Yeah. No. They they only recently released the main storyline trailer for that game. I think it was a month or two ago. Yeah. And it's been in development for I don't know, ten, eleven, twelve years. I mean, that's the thing. It's gaming as a service it's like actually sorry not even gaming as a service not even that i'm going to go one step further game development as a service mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay you're, you're 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 slowly funding the development of a game there's no clear deadline of when it's going to be done just keep funding it and we're just we're just going to perpetually develop it until I mean, one, this, this, one day, this gives you know, this gives a lot of studios a black eye, though, right? You're not going to get a lot of trust in terms of people exactly working over some money for something that may not be what what is promised. Another right? another perfect right. example of this is, is the go ahead, uh, yeah, so real quick, yeah. real quick. The another perfect example of this was the latest Battlefield game, which would uh, from it was EA? like twenty forty two something okay. like that. Um, I am a huge Battlefield fan, and I and I was at the point where I, you know, I'm telling myself I'm not going to pre-order games. I'm just not going to do it, and I didn't. Luckily, it, again, half baked. Yeah, servers were crap. Uh, a friend of ours um, pre-ordered the game, got it, and offered his uh, tried to get his refund, which they granted. It was it just wasn't finished. Yeah, and it's just you know I I think we're at that part in time where you just I, th- I think you're going to see early, uh, uh, pr- sorry, pre-orders. Just people aren't going to pre-order games anymore. Yeah. Because how can you trust them? Is there the trust a, is going away? Yeah. Is there an equivalent to this in the non-gaming world? Like if if Microsoft or Apple or Google, like they would never kind of say, well, "Here's an app, uh, but it's in pre-release. Um, I, it might not work." But give us your money. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels we like tell you that 
<laughs> it happens all the time. It does. It Wait, oh, all the time. I, oh yes, it happens all really? the time. We just don't tell you. <laughs> all right. How do how do they hide behind that kind of stuff? By um, calling well, it beta. So you do deliver. You do deliver something that provides value. But I, like incremental engineering has has been known for a long time to be the, one of the best ways to get something in front of your customers and iterate. Like for example, a product may have a really long roadmap out to years, but we don't know if our client base and our stakeholders want feature X plus Y past the, you know, call it a quarter or so, maybe even a year. So things like Salesforce and all these big, huge, massive companies will spend time engineering something that's just good enough, put it out there, make sure it works, and then add more features right, to it as right. we go. And that's now, the, it's not precisely the same. And right? that's that's the concept of the minim, minimally viable product, right? Like that's the exactly uh, yes. when you're developing, give you know, give you give the, the customers the absolute minimum but make it really good. And then you can add all those other features later, but that doesn't right, work exactly. with games, right? No games are like movies. Like would anybody love to watch <laughs> right. like a movie that's like half ass, like 50%? No, the, the entire gaming industry has taken how it goes to market with how the cinema uh, studios go to market. And similarly, the workforces across both of those particular industries are completely just burned and ground to a dust, right? We like to make fun of actors because they make so much money, but their, their like schedules are absurd, right? Sitting down and getting makeup for six hours and then yeah. acting for 12. Like there's a lot of burnout in that industry. And similarly in the gaming industry, the engineers and the developers that I've know have worked in that industry. They're like, it's terrible. It's like, there's not enough money that you can pay me because I'm held to 12 hour timeframes and go back yeah. to the blizzard shenanigans of a couple of years ago with all the culture issues yeah. before Microsoft bought them. And Microsoft was kind of like, wait a minute, I don't, maybe we don't want to buy you <laughs> based on the stuff that you're take doing. It back, take it back. <laughs> take it back here. You can have it. Right. And so there's just, it's, it's a very difficult industry that I think is coupled to software engineering, which is another difficult industry. So you're taking tight deadlines and we have to make money based on dates with an industry that has a tough time handling dates, putting them together and saying, go build a product. Um, of course, you're, you're going to only deliver something incrementally because that that gives your engineers a little bit better uh, quality of life and it allows you to get something on uh, out there that people will like. So again, as I said, the player base of games are going to have their expectations slowly changed over the next 10 years. You're no longer going to get a full product. We need to just accept the fact that that's probably where we're going. Yeah. And we're going to start seeing incremental games as as a, as a design. Well, didn't te wasn't Telltale Games that they, they did some of that kind of thing where they did chapter one of a game and then you had to wait for chapter two and then you yes. paid for chapter yeah. three at some point. But at least yes. the games weren't expensive. You would only have to pay eight dollars or nine dollars right. for that, for that initial chapter one. Well, look at look That's at look at Cyberpunk. Well, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that was that was yeah. If, have we learned nothing from Cyberpunk? Well, look at it now. Well, right? apparently if they just had yeah, a couple no, years more. Yeah, but it, it had such a it had such a a black eye from that initial release and how bad it was that they're they lost a potential gaming market i still haven't played the yeah. game i still haven't bought it like i'm not gonna like do i trust that they've fixed everything well you know you, your your analogy jeremy to the the uh to the movies just reminds me it's like some people would argue that the whole marvel universe is just one big unfinished thing and they just put out a movie and they're like well just wait for the next one and it'll get better exactly. wait for the next one and it'll yeah. get better um so here's a fun analog too uh did you buy the first iphone when it came out i did not no i why uh it was it was not well looking back in hindsight i just i didn't see the point of it 
other than because it was this walled garden. It wasn't until they opened the app store that mm-hmm. something clicked in my brain that said, oh, now right. I now I see it. Now I get it. So you didn't trust it. Well, yeah, it was the new. Hardware adoption curves, AI follows the same curve, Yeah, right? It, it takes a while for people to gain enough trust to buy into an ecosystem, right? S- same thing with the cyberpunk. Like it starts off, it's crappy, but it gets better and better. And eventually it will be the game that we want. That's what they're saying about like Diablo 4 and all these other things is maybe by season six, we'll have a game that we want, <laughs> right? So it's how, what's your tolerance as a gamer to right. walk into a half-baked ecosystem and be okay with that and be an early adopter knowing that you're not going to get all the features you want. Yeah. So when a game comes out, don't buy it. Just wait a year or two yep. and it will be finished. That's it. So yep. like, I, I, exactly. So like I have, I, I got cyberpunk when it came out and, uh, I had a really bad time with it. A lot of crashing, a lot of bugs and stuff like that. So I'm thinking now maybe, maybe I might pick it back up. Okay. All right. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. No, I, I like how there are, there are different analogies that we can tie this to. It's just a matter of, yeah, buyer beware. And, and if you are one of those early adopters of, of gadgets, you're, the, you're in the same boat. Um, sometimes that first iteration is not as great as you think it might be. Uh, all right. I want to switch to other things uh, in, in the world of tech. Uh, going back to Google, they launched uh, a couple. This is, I think, last week. So this is, this is a little bit of an older story, but um, they launched their uh, Google Gemini. Uh, so they've upgraded Bard, which thank goodness, because I was not a fan of Bard. Uh, but now they're, they're, it's their next generation AI model. It's going to go up against GPT-4. Um, they, the company made a big splash about it's got advanced reasoning, planning, understandings, and other capabilities. Gemini will come in three sizes, Ultra Pro and Nano, allowing it to run on anything ranging from mobile devices to data centers. Uh, it's going to take place over two phases. Initially, BARD will be upgraded with a specifically tuned version of Gemini Pro. Next year, Google will introduce BARD Advanced, which will give users access to the best AI model, starting with Gemini Ultra. This comes out at the time when you've got all this drama going on with OpenAI and, and, and ChatGPT and GPT-4 and that whole uh, who's the CEO thing. Uh, is the timing of this suspect, Jeremy, or do you think that this was our, you know, always planned? Um, they did have a couple of stumbling points, which we can get to as well. But what are your thoughts yeah. on, on this, this Gemini uh, upgrade for, for Google? I think that... They are playing catch up just a little bit, but you see the spin in the article where they're talking about, well, we don't care if we're catching up because we're being more responsible, right? We're right. We're being careful, but there's nothing out there that where they're talking about how they're being careful. They're just saying, oh, we're moving a little slower. It's like trust we us. We want to make sure we're yeah, it, trust us. We're 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 the we're the good company. We're the do no evil company, right? That sells your information on the internet. How we make money? I don't know. Like, anyway, always been skeptical. I have a bunch of friends that work at Google. Please don't take offense at me okay. saying this. They all know how I feel anyway. But um, I, I think that the, the timing of this is perhaps a little suspect because let no good crisis go to waste is sort of the advertiser's mantra. Uh, so if you see an, if you see your enemy limping, right, you're going to take another shot at them to try and overtake them uh, from a trust perspective. But again, all, all these. I do like the concept of it's a structured universal model, as scary as that sounds. Their architecture is more about let's connect everything together in the Google, Google excuse me, multiverse, as opposed to 
uh, ChatGPT didn't really have anything to look forward to until they uh, sort of built this liaison with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Because these types of technologies are only, they become more interesting when you give it more data. Again, they also become more scary when you give it more data. So the more information that this particular um, model has access to the more quality of life it can deliver across Google's uh, different suites, which is the idea behind the Ultra Pro Nano, like you're building different hardware profiles, right? Nano can run on devices and so on. And so Ultra is probably in the cloud because it does so much, yeah. uh, so much stuff with large swaths of data. All right. And, and, and this is not going to be out till 2024, according to Google. And so are, are we looking at a world where Customers and end users, and I, again, I say customers in terms of businesses and enterprises that might adopt this versus an end user, which are just people more like me and you and just kind of the, the end consumer. Are, are we in a world where we're going to have uh, a multiverse of different GPTs and, and models, or is it going to just be a, end up being a, an Apple Android thing or a Microsoft PlayStation thing? Well, we're just going to have to choose but uh, Coke and Pepsi. We're just going to end up being two different models that we'll choose from. And yeah, there'll be an RC Cola over here. I think that's the Anthropic one. You know, there'll, there'll be the you know some of the the minor players in the space. Um, it just feels like we're repeating history in the world of tech. It's always going to be at least just two or three big, big companies or models to choose from, and that's all it's going to be. I live in the South, so give me my RC and my moon pie, right? Um, <laughs> dude, hashtag capitalism, you know? That, yeah. That's what this is about, you know? But but it, but for a while, it, it did feel like you were going to have a multiple you know, a multitude of different choices, but it, now it feels like it just, the, you know, the big guys saw what happened and they're coming to play now and they're going to bring their own, their own type of thing. I think a fun, a fun multiverse universe to think about is where Bard becomes sentient and then, um, chat GPT becomes sentient. They see each other as threats <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden we're all screwed. Right. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm, I think that this area is so gray that nobody really knows what to do. And, and people are, we're kind of in an arms race, like, right now, not that we're at war with anyone, but these right. companies are in an arms race with one another where their their goal is to to build the next most uh, amazing and awesome you know AI model that that somehow advances humanity to Star Trek realm where we're you know all warping places through transporters and so on and so forth and humanity is at like, peace. Uh, I, yeah, I want to give you an example of of where I'm seeing multiple versions of things that are interesting to observe from it's all in this image generation space so first the first thing that came out was dolly which was owned by OpenAI, ai uh and then mid-journey stable diffusion uh I, I even think hugging face is still around um doing image stuff uh adobe got into the game with with its photoshop technologies and now you can do all of some some interesting and weird things with if you've got the adobe creative cloud account you can now manipulate your photos a lot easier uh, but then last week meta the facebook people they they got into it and said oh we've got our own little image creator uh and then that's free and so you can type a prompt in it it'll try to draw something um so you've got multiple choices from an end user perspective of of all right how do you want your ai to draw this and most of the time it's incorrect or it's still early stages uh but the image the meta stuff their first attempts at some of the things that i was typing in were really good um you know which took 
years for kind of the dollies of the world to get right. Um, so it's less of a, of, but, but in the big, big space, it's still, it's going to be like two or three. Yeah. What I think you're seeing there is implementation is, is as good as the intellectual horsepower that's creating the product. And this has been true for software for a long time. My wife's a structural engineer, right? When you build a bridge, there are ways to build a bridge and it's a very clear and clean and cut. Yes, there's all kinds of different loads that you have to take into account, but she can open her gigantic steel Bible and Mm -hmm. find all of the formulas that are required for her to build that bridge. So it doesn't fall down and kill hundreds of thousands of people when they're driving over it. Again, those models are very conservative, but ultimately they have kind of a recipe that can follow in software. We don't have that. There's no set baseline ideology we don't have gravity i use i tell this 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 um story all the time that in, yeah, in software, yeah gra- gravity gravity's a bit <laughs> we can change the gravitational constant if we want to yeah because it's such a creative world and it, it, i can do anything i want i me a jeremy could go out and build an image creator on some random website look at i can has cheeseburger do y'all remember that at all yeah like the meme generator back in the days that i used to just spend all my hours on like people can do anything they want as long as they have the ability to write code that produces it so all these companies are going to have are going to create these products that are all fragmented that all have different capabilities some of them will be better than others some of them will probably die off and be defunct some of them maybe even become nefarious and do really bad things so this lack of standardization in our world basically equates to buyer beware be very careful what you do and who you listen to as we're in the midst of this arm race because again everybody's going to want to say i have the best product i have the best product because it attracts eyeballs and therefore generates revenue I, I don't think I could have said that better, Jeremy. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. That, that is exactly what we're in. We're in that wild west still. Um, and it's fun to cover because I, I just love hearing about new different things and then trying them out and seeing if it works or not. Um, I want to go yeah. back to the Google thing for a second uh, with, um, they did get caught in, in like, in this, in this little, uh, faux pas of, of faking a video. So if you bring up that engadget story. Chris, yeah, uh, Google admits that this video was staged. Um, apparently, they were trying to show on it was the video was called "Hands On with Gemini," interacting with multimodal AI, and the implied uh, voice interaction between the human user and the AI was actually non-existent. Um, did they take it down? Oh no, no, that's the video. No, no, there. Okay, this was there. just the introduction. This, okay, this I thought that was the. Yeah. Um, I thought that was like the YouTube thing. I, I going. just opened the YouTube. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the video, there's a voiceover, and they're talking about, oh, hey, what is this? And it's like, oh, you just put a piece of paper on this. Uh, yeah, I see you placing a piece of paper on the table, and then he draws a squiggle line. He goes, oh. So all of these, apparently they sped up the video between when they actually asked the question and when they got a response. So that was the first kind of thing that they did. They edited it to speed up the outputs. Now, this was declared in the video description, but if you're reading this on, a, on a, if, an embedded site, you're not seeing the description. Uh, and then the actual demo was made by using still image frames from the footage and prompting via text rather than having Gemini respond to or even predict a drawing or change of objects on the table in real time. Uh, this is far less impressive than the video wants to mislead us into thinking. Worse yet, the lack of disclaimer about the actual input method makes Gemini's readiness rather questionable, according to this article. So, you know, Google's saying that, well, we're trying to be upfront as much as possible, but, you know, I think they got caught and, and, and companies fake videos all the time. 
uh, I, uh, when I was in the robot space, Boston Dynamics, they're famous for these YouTube videos of the of these these robots that are you can't push down, and but a lot of those videos are technically staged and it's not autonomous and they speed up footage all the time on, on robot stuff. Um, so I, I guess I can't dig them too hard, but I, I found it interesting that that, that that was one of the things they got nailed for. I think this is kind of like when I was doing my master's and we were inventing random stuff and we just show videos and we make it up. <laughs> and I kind of feel like that's what they did here. They're like, Hey, this, wouldn't this be really cool? If, uh, if we, we, we could get it to do it this like fast. Yeah. 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 It's, it, I, I think I see this all the time. And I think that maybe somewhere deep in the depths of Google, they didn't mean to do this. And they were sort of just putting their product video out there with like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do all this stuff? And maybe we can do 75% of what's in that video, but let's just send it out and get people excited and hyped about it. To you and I, from a reporting perspective, that's kind of being, that's misleading us. But from them, it's like, yeah. oh, this is just this cool idea that we want to put out there on the internet. And again, it kind of speaks volumes to their self-awareness when it comes to how to put a product on market. And let me tell you, Google, they well known for putting products on the market that last hashtag circles or whatever that thing was called. Oh, what was that? Was that Google plus Google plus? Google that was it. Sorry. I just remember <laughs> your friend group is like a circle or something. I don't even like I was in it for like 20 seconds and went back to Facebook. In yeah. Like 2010. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Didn't, didn't they have, was it, was it Google that did the thing where you could call up a hair salon and get an appointment via AI and, or was that maybe an Apple? I don't remember. There's there's all these demos know. that happen at these that these shows that that you never actually see that actual that you know happen. Uh, there is another Gemini story I wanted to talk about too. Uh, uh, this is called uh, the Google Ways the Gemini AI project to tell people their life story using phone data and photos. A team at Google has proposed using AI technology to create a bird's eye view of, of users' lives using mobile phone data such as photographs and searches. Dubbed Project Elman after biography, uh, biographer and literary critic Richard David Elman, the, the idea would be to use large language models like Gemini to ingest search results, spot patterns in a user's photos, create a chatbot, and answer previously impossible questions according to a copy of a presentation viewed by CNBC. Uh, Elman's aim, it states, is to be your life storyteller. <sighs> Great. This is just this just screams like there's no way I would ever do this. Um, but apparently, Google Photos has more than one billion users and four trillion photos and videos, according to a company blog post. Um, this just this just screams this is we're gonna just take all of your data and and create this thing for you that I would never want to see. I would like to know who they asked. Do you think this would be a good idea? Because <laughs> nor normally, like for focus groups, when I'm building a new product, I go out there and I ask real human beings, do you think this would be a good idea? I really would like to know who out there says, you know, it'd be really cool if Google knew everything about me ever, forever, and ever, and could basically tell me my life story from the top down without hallucinating, by the way. I mean, eh. This is no. Yeah, this I wouldn't is, do this either. Yeah, this is so here's a quote. Quote, we trawl through your photos, looking at their tags and locations to identify a meaningful moment. When we step back and understand your life in its entirety, your overarching story becomes clear. It's like, ah, oh. like if you really if you're an end user and you really want to do that, just write a book, just write your life story, you know, because that, that's more yeah, interesting just, than having a, a computer program do it for you. 
maybe I'm the skeptical, you know, nerd that that hates other human beings and I don't like to tell my life story. I, I just don't know who would ever do this. Like why why would you like what's the use case? Who out there would really enjoy this? And I could be wrong. Maybe they're like millions of people that say hey, it'd be really cool if I saw like all my life story in one feed. But I mean, I kind of get annoyed when Facebook shows me this was 16 years ago sometimes because I'm like, stop. Yeah, yeah. And they've gotten in trouble for that because they've done memories of like when, you know, a loved one dies and it's like, well, thanks for reminding me of that really painful moment in memory. Like, right. It's like, I've got enough nostalgia in my life. I don't need, I don't need more reminders of that. Uh, All right. So let's, let's talk about one more thing. Speaking of nostalgia, uh, are, are you a fan of the rock band Kiss, Jeremy? <laughs> not really. <laughs> Neither am I, but um, I'm always interested. one cannot deny their influence. Yes. And, and um, it takes me back to the time when I, I, I had a, a, a childhood. I wouldn't call him a friend. He was more of a childhood enemy. Um, and he was a, a fan of the band Kiss. Um, so I became a, a, a fan of not the band Kiss uh, because I hated this kid so much. Um, and, and I remember that, that I, I beat him up once. And so... Mike, if you're out there, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, so Kiss debuted uh, their immortal digital avatars and plans to go, quote, fully virtual. Uh, this is the uh, the Verge story, Chris. So um, these guys are getting older. You know, they've been around since the 70s. Uh, they had their makeup phase. They're not makeup phase. They're back in their makeup phase. And so now they did a final concert at Madison Square Garden, and then they revealed that now they will have digital avatars that will perform concerts if you pay them money or subscribe or whatever they're going to do. But these, these things are going to be uh, available forever, you know, supposedly after probably these members die. And um, if you're a KISS fan, you can just, you can just watch these concerts in, in this virtual world. Now, I, I, I will admit this is not the first band to do this. Um, ABBA did this a few years ago or last year, and they've been apparently they're making uh, how where, how much money are they make? They're making like two billion a year. No, that that doesn't sound right. Uh, oh, two million dollars every week for this ABBA Avatar show. So that's you know a hundred million dollars a year to watch virtual ABBA sing. So. Why, why wouldn't they do this? But this, this also then gets into that world of, well, maybe I'll be able to see virtual kiss in, in the metaverse at some point in the future. Um, so 1998 little band called gorillas, you know who they are? Yep. Yep. The lead singer used to be the lead singer blur, which says song number two, which is like the song of anthem of, of my childhood. Right. Um, so this has been done before, but not to this level. And I think it's a really cool idea. I, I don't think people are giving gorillas enough credit for having already done this. Okay. People don't see yeah. that they created this entire virtual band ecosystem. And when you would go to like a show, uh, you know, it's it's literally the lead singer and there's a backing band, but they're showing you kind of this this virtual show with the characters that were animated by a specific comic artist. I believe Jamie Hewlett was the name of the guy that did that. And then also remember Death Clock. Is anybody any Adult Swim fans in the house? I, you guys I, know Death no, Clock that's is? over my head. Sorry. So I, I went to a Dragon Force Death Clock uh, show <laughs> in Atlanta. Yes, I am telling on myself. 
<laughs> but I went to a Dragon Force Death Clock show. And Death Clock is an animated band uh, created by Brendan Smalls for the Adult Swim Network, where he does all the music himself. And he has an entire band. He does all of the voices. He has a couple of other guys that do some voices. But this, this band shows up on stage, and they show you an animated montage, and they are playing the Death Clock songs that align to the Adult Swim show and the entire series as an actual concert. So this has been around for a long, long time. And I'm actually kind of excited about it. The thing that KISS is doing that these other people are not doing is allowing you to on-demand get a KISS show. And I'm did it say in the article that it would be like a recording or would they like would they still perform just the avatars would like do the stuff because they're like too old to put their makeup on? Well, I, I thought that they were gonna be like you will be able to the KISS Avatar show will will tour. So you'll have to go to a physical location to watch this, but apparently Maybe the, you could also then do this on demand at some point. I think from the looks of it, I think it's just virtual. I mean, I mean, we're looking at the video right here. Yeah. It looks like everybody's in the stadium. They have these kind of banners that hang down, that are hanging down in the middle of the of the stadium, and they're projecting the whatever the AI avatars on it. So I mean, so I. I would be interested if it's like Kiss playing the music yeah. and then just syncing the avatars to it. Cause again, it's like, no, but it won't. No, no, it, no. The, the band will have nothing to do with it. I think you're just going to go and watch these virtual avatars. Yeah. That, that's what, that's yeah. what I'm That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it looks like it's just the avatars. I mean, at that point, it's just a video. It's just a, you're just watching yeah, a music video. It doesn't feel like anything I would ever pay for. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, apparently there's enough people in that, that are going to see this ABBA show. Um, That's crazy. Now, Matt, you know, and again, you know, if if ABBA and Kiss do it, like what's preventing, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen, for example, to do this at some point? Um, think of all, you know, Billy Joel, uh, Taylor Swift at some point, you know, creating an heiress tour. I mean, you know how much money she made on that? Like, you know, as she, you know, as she gets older, but I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the A-less superstars will, won't get there. I mean, maybe this is something uh, for the B. I mean, game. unless unless the tickets are very reasonably priced, you know, because it's yeah. like what I'm not going to spend. <laughs> I'm not going to spend what three, four hundred dollars on a concert ticket when they're not there. Reasonably like wanna, priced and kiss do not go in the same sentence. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you know I, I mean? I, like, uh, this this has already jumped the shark with me. I don't <laughs> I don't think I would ever in any world be okay with this. Apart from these bands that built their entire brand on this concept, like Gorillas. Right. They have it. They've already done this. And you get an, an expectation of being entertained because they provide other things like comics and books. And, yeah. you know, again, the entire Death Clock show on Adult Swim, like that connects me with the material. What connects me with the band and an artist is their capabilities on stage. Exactly. And they sing well, exactly. which unfortunately isn't something that happens these days because of auto tune. Yeah. But Can look how good those, well? look how good good those, ab yeah, those ABBA avatars look really good. I'm sorry, Jeremy, we're playing the, the ABBA video. You're at the You're moment, good. you can't see it. Um, I, you know, I mean, that brings you back to the world of like, all right. So I was too young when when uh, Elvis passed away, so I didn't get to see Elvis in concert. And there, there's a lot of footage of him in concert. But would it be cool to go to a concert and see Elvis again performing as an avatar? I don't. 
I don't know. No. I don't know. No. no? The Beatles? I, no. What no. about the Beatles? I, I think people want to see the real, right. the real thing. You guys are you just know? old people yelling at clouds. Probably. <laughs> this Probably. is the future, yeah. man. This Happily. is the this is the future. I'll bet you I'll bet you my kids would be all into going to see a virtual Taylor Swift. It's like those at some uh, point. it's like the those Beyond burgers, right? It's like <laughs> it's, it's the veggie burger. <laughs> it's like, come on. This is the veggie I want, I want the real meat. This you know, is I don't the veggie the, burger of, I don't of eat music. veggie burgers either, dude. You know? Like, no way. Oh, all right. Well, I think it's time to wrap up, guys. Jeremy, uh, it was a pleasure having you as guest co-host for uh, these four epi- these past four episodes. And I hope that uh, you have a wonderful holiday and we'll see you in 2024. I'm sure we'll bring you back at some point, but we're going to give you a little bit of a break. Uh, Exciting times. Thanks uh, for having me. This is right. awesome. All I really right. enjoyed and, and Chris, always great to talk with you as well. No, no problem. That's all the time we have for the show today. Be sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel, add any comments you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.